1: So our reading today comes from Acts chapter 19, verses 21 to the end of the chapter. So Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrespect, Disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be even that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theatre. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defence to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, "'Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!' When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, "'Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians "'is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? "'Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought ought to be quiet and do nothing rash.' For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly."
0: Good afternoon again. All right. I get it every time. How's everybody going? Good afternoon. <laughs> okay. I just want you all to be awake. Ah. You know, I've been preaching, teaching for 30 something years, and I still get nervous. My knees are actually shaking a little bit. Would you believe that? Ah. Take a deep breath, I say to myself. Um, You probably notice that we don't have the same guy getting up preaching every week. So we have uh, a preaching team, uh, five or six of us, and we're on a roster, and we just take it in turns. We get together occasionally. We talk about what we're we're, um, teaching about. As you know, we've been going through the Book of Acts for seven, eight months now and uh, so we get together we chat about it we make sure we're keeping with themes and and ideas and um, so it's been great it's not always easy to not to say we we do work together well as a team but we're individuals and uh, the individuality comes out when we are teaching god's word as well so we're probably going to finish off acts in june july possibly and then we'll be looking at an old testament book uh, we were just throwing in that discussion which Old Testament book to, uh, to go into next. Um, just before I start, I've got a bit of a, a disclaimer or a, what I call it a qualifying statement. I'm going to use the word mob. So I, there's no offense to our Aboriginal community. I know, I know that's a word that they use, but I'm not referring to them as I speak through God's word today. You got that? Okay, let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. We bring ourselves together as a body of believers today. Uh, As it's been said and prayed before, we are here for a purpose, for a reason. Lord, you have brought each individual, each family here today, each child in the Sunday school, each youth in the youth um, service I pray, Lord, today that you would allow your word uh, to do its work in our lives. Uh, Speak to us, mould us, shape us, and as it says in your word, give us ears to hear your word today. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. I remember a story way back, uh, 1999, Australian family, the Staines, heard of the Staines? They were missionaries in India. And they worked amongst uh, a leprosy community there. And they'd been there for a while. They were well known in the area. Uh, The population population was predominantly Hindu. Uh, Not always, uh, the gospel was not very well received generally amongst Hindu-speaking people. But there they were, they were serving the God, serving the Lord in that area. Uh, Graham and the two boys, Timothy and Philip, we were going to travel to a village location uh, to do some work and ministry there. But little did they know on their journey that their lives were in jeopardy. So after traveling for some time, they pulled over, and this mob, this crowd of Hindu of a, of a certain sect, came, they, they beat them, and they burnt them in their vehicles, in, in the vehicle. Um, the, the wife and the daughter did not go on that trip and they obviously, yeah, went through a lot. I think, Marie, did you meet her at a conference? Yeah, where she shared a testimony. So they tried to get out the vehicle after being beaten but they were burnt alive. It was a tragedy, a senseless act by a mob who were confused, who had lost their way and like without the lord these things happen so the mob mentality chaos uncontrolled action confusion we're going to see that in our text today thank you Julie for reading Uh, we saw that and in our world today chaos and confusion seems to be, be appearing everywhere don't watch the news too much okay? but we see it right we see that there's chaos and confusion in all parts of the world. There's tension in Europe, Middle East, Asia, Africa. And it's quite alarming, it's quite frightening when we look at it or read about it. Then we have these demonstrations that take place. Uh, Fights break out, people get hurt or killed. Uh, Shops get looted, cars get burnt out, people go to jail. It's total chaos um and even during these events people are interviewed or they're interviewed after and they're asked why why are you demonstrating why are you here today and some of the people go uh because i'm here they don't have a clear understanding of the facts why they are protesting but they're there joining they're there for a cause reminds me of verse 32 in ephesians i mean in Ephesus here that we read in Acts it says some therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they came together do you see that today you see things like that happening you can say yes you can say no you can okay good got some So we're all very aware that these events can be extremely dangerous for our society. It seems like it's a breeding ground, instilling people with hatred, fear, and irrational mindsets. And behind these causes, as we will see in the scripture today, it can be just one person that stirs the pot or it can be two, or it can be a small minority group that want to stir the pot, want to make a point. And then the crowds come. So for Graham, Timothy and Philip, totally innocent. It was started by a mob who didn't have all the facts, and it was chaotic, it was frightening, and it was evil. It was evil. The mob was spiritually blind, the enemy, Satan, the deceiver, was seeking vengeance on God's creation. People created in his image, thus their lives were destroyed. And this has been Satan's plan right from the beginning, to destroy what God created. Satan hates God. See that back in Genesis? He hates God. He will do anything. And he hates us, mankind. Pretty frightening, isn't it? to think somebody hates you so much he wants to destroy your life and he will do everything possible to do that pretty doom and gloom sorry but god we got that one by god christian people of the way as it's uh said in in the book of axia the word of god tells us that God is not the author of what confusion he brings peace so as we trust him in this confused world he brings peace into a situation you ever been in a very very difficult situation and you just don't know any way out but then God brings peace you ever felt like that sure you can say yes to come on good And second Timothy 1 7 Paul says this to Timothy God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love and of a sound mind. I like that. Power, love is good, but sound mind. Because when there's confusion and chaos, there's no sound mind. It's all irrational. It's chaos. Thus, despite what is happening in the world today in our societies, God has us, his children, to be his instruments to be his instruments, his hands and feet, to bring peace, to bring shalom to this world. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be a living sacrifice. as Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm not going to read it, but hopefully some of you know those verses. To be a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he exhorts us to be a living sacrifice in this world. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's speaking from experience, starting at verse 23b. So far more imprisonment. This is Paul, he's been in prison with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, Uh, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and night and day I was adrift in the sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toils and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food cold and exposure i can't identify with that i've been hungry for maybe an hour but paul living a life like this he's constantly in trouble but what for for the gospel for the gospel's sake so he knew firsthand the consequences of preaching and teaching God's word. So why do people oppose the gospel? Why do people resist the truth? Why did the the Hindu people of that area, and even today in India, resist the gospel? So the text we are studying today may not be a reality to us. We haven't experienced, we haven't faced death. Has anybody here faced death for the gospel? I haven't. I haven't experienced it. I've had near-death experiences, but not for the gospel's sake. Although, anyway, that's another story. I, I can't get sidetracked. But for many of our brothers and sisters today, they're facing this right now. They are facing persecution because of the gospel's sake. I've had the privilege to sit down with people. Some of those trips that I do to Africa and because we're uh, involved in in Muslim awareness uh, amongst the churches, um, you hear testimonies of of how people are suffering, suffered because of the gospel's sake. They've lost their jobs. They've been stabbed. They've been threatened. They're targets by their own family. For leaving their religion I can't connect with that reality as much as I've heard it these people have not gone looking for trouble but because of their conversion and commitment to Christ it is seen as a betrayal to their friends their community etc thus as followers thus these followers of Christ truly know what it is to deny themselves right to be those living sacrifices to take up their cross and follow him and paul again describes in two corinthians 1 8 to 10 his perspective of what happened in ephesus and in some detail although he was protected at this point as we as we heard but from his perspective because as we know he faced many 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 trials he says this in verse 8 of 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 for we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of the trouble which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life yes we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we did not trust in ourselves but God who raises the dead who delivered us from great death and does deliver us in whom we trust that we will still that he will still deliver us so we knew what it was to face death and we know that paul actually was executed when we read church history so you hear these words penned by the apostle paul and he i he just had this heavenly or eternal perspective on what he was doing everything that he did No matter what, even near death, he knew that God would deliver him. There's a verse of scripture, I can't remember where, I think it's in Corinthians where it says, oh, don't worry, don't record that one. Um, But he had an eternal perspective with his Saviour. An eternal perspective was on his mind constantly. Having an eternal perspective... Will give us boldness to share the gospel we are so earthly in our thinking aren't we we are so like caught up with the things of today life and we don't have an eternal perspective and that eternal perspective i believe gives us boldness gives us courage to share god's word with those that don't know him so as I mentioned earlier, most of us never experienced intense opposition for our faith. But I, I don't think we can say we're going to escape it. When we look at what's happening in the world today, I think we might be surprised. I'm not a prophet of doom, okay? But I think we'll be surprised it could come to us sooner or later. You know the fastest growing religion in Australia at the moment? Islam. Islam is growing at a rate that you wouldn't believe. And we can't be naive of what's happening out there either. We can't go, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. We can't be naive as believers. We can't be naive. We need to be watching. We need to be praying. We need to be ready. We need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Last week, John ended with these words. Well, they're in the Bible. John said them. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and what? Prevailed. It's sustainable. The word of God can never be eradicated. People have tried to do it over the years, but the word of God cannot be snuffed out. They've tried since the time of Jesus and before, but it can never be snuffed out. And we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, as the word of God prevails, we've been hearing about miracles and healings. And they have been one of the center focuses of seeing people come to Christ. But we're going to see more and more. We're going to see more and more now that the word of God becomes the center. The testimonies, as we read through the rest of Acts, you're going to hear Paul giving the gospel more and more as he's been accused and before judges and kings but through his testimony through the teaching of god's word that's what's going to prevail that's what's going to be sent to peace i'm not saying healings or miracles aren't going to continue but it's not one of the central focuses of the rest of the teaching of the book of acts it is the gospel that liberates people the darkness of evil will always be there and the enemy satan will continue to desire, that's his aim, to kill and to destroy. But the word of God brings freedom. The word of God brings freedom. It sets you free. It sets you free from your sin, from your shame, from your guilt. And so Jesus said this in John 8, 31. He said to, he said to the Jews who have believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And you will know the truth. And what? And you will know the truth and what? will set you free. That's right. The truth sets people free. And that's what the Word of God does. It sets us free. It liberates us from sin and shame. And obviously the Spirit of God comes in and does that work. We'll talk more about that later. So our first point, Paul's desire to visit the church at Rome. Sorry... um, I'm going a bit all over the place here, James. (laughs) So Paul's desire to visit the church at Rome. So verses 21 and 22. Paul had this specific desire to go through to Macedonia again, Archaea, and then on to Jerusalem with his ultimate goal to get to Rome. But it's not yet, Paul. It's not your time to get there yet. He knew that there were believers in Rome that needed teaching, that needed encouraging. And if you want to find out more about that, what do you read? Book of Romans, thank you. The book of Romans. And you'll find out Paul's interaction with the believers there. So it's not time for Paul to go to Rome yet. So he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him. And our second point, verses 23 to 34. Here's a question for us to ponder upon. It's called the Great Commotion. Verses 23 to 34. Why is it... More than often that Christians are target of abuse. Why is that? Why is it that other religions don't attract the same abuse as Christianity does? Have you ever asked yourself that the question? Why is that? And why can people slander Christianity, use the name of that is above every name in vain as a swear word? And then not be taken to court not being asked to make an apology publicly why but when us as believers make a controversial statement bang they're on you when are you going to make an apology the way in the book of Acts here the way the believers have been freely going about Asia sharing the gospel Yes, some of the Jewish religious leaders have been bringing bringing things up and making things difficult, but it was cooling off a bit compared to how it was before, well, at least in, in Ephesus and the Asia area. But in verse 37, it states this, that the believers were neither robbers of temples or blasphemers of their God. So why was the commotion there? What was the issue Why was the uproar about to happen? Well, verse 24, Demetrius, remember? As I said before, it just takes one person sometimes to stir the pot. Well, Demetrius the silversmith was losing business. And if you lose business, what do you lose? Money. That's right. But who else was behind the scene, prodding, pushing the enemy, right? He was there. We saw that last week in the teaching that John gave us as well. He was there stirring as well. And Ephesus was a seaport renowned for its beauty and its architecture. The city was a gateway for many travelling through Asia to buy, sell, to visit. But the temple of Artemis, or Diana, was there. The goddess of hunting, uh, the wilderness, wild animals, nature, vegetation, childbirth, child care, interesting one, and chastity. People came and flocked, tourists came to visit the temple and to worship Diana and buying these little statues, idols. The worship of Diana brought a significant amount of money into the city and thus the production of idol making was slowing down. Remember during COVID how the whole tourism industry suffered? But it was just all the little shops, all the, all the flight agencies, travel agencies, just, they, they struggled and have been bailed out. Some have folded up. I met people in Bunnings that were working for travel agencies and they were now working, working at Bunnings. Actually, that's a bit of a sour point, but anyway. I couldn't get a job there. But anyway, I knew why. <laughs> um, we know that evil is present. The spiritual realm of the devil is at work. He's blinding the minds, pulling people away from the truth of the gospel. These little silver shrines bought a pretty penny for Demetrius and the other craftsmen, and now things were starting to slow down. These people were not happy, but was that the real problem? Was that the real problem? You see, throughout the scriptures, the Lord, God warns us about idol worship it's an abomination it's unacceptable he says that you are to have no other gods in exodus 21 to 25 in isaiah tells us that man cuts down the tree he shapes an idol with his hands he burns over the he burns the leftover bits and pieces and then they set this idol up and then they worship it they worship So to reverse this a little bit to get us thinking and I was debating in my little heart little mind whether I should say this or not so don't stone me okay don't, don't stone me but what happens we've all got idols okay we've all got things that we find hard to let go so what do you think the reaction would be of people if we're all Christians in the world unsubscribed to Netflix there'd be an uproar right What happens if we all stop buying Halal certified food? Do you look at the back of your packets and see what is Halal certified or not? I don't. But you'd be surprised how much is out there because that sponsors Islam. What would happen if we did that? We protested. What happens if every day or once a week we stop for prayer. I lay down my trowel, my tools, my shovel, and I just spend ten minutes, fifteen minutes praying. I shut the doors of my shop, I stop my computer. You can't stop flying a plane, sorry. But <laughs> or you can put it on autopilot. <laughs> so what ends if we did that? What would the reaction be of the non believer? I'm sure we get some reaction. How would the world respond? Okay, so back to Demetrius, he's looking for support, so he calls up his fellow workers and saying, says this that their trade is in jeopardy, and then he adds it adds to it by saying that the people are are persuading the believers are persuading people all over Asia not to worship idols made with hands. And then he adds another layer onto it. Says our businesses are endangered; they're going to collapse, and the temple of Artemis is being despised, and the people will stop worshiping her. So apparently they've got to help this goddess. The news spread fast, and in verse 28 in Acts 19 here, that's when things get into further disarray. Again, it it's out of hands. It says the crowd was full of. Wrath. You ever been near a road rage situation? Ever had road rage? I've been close a few times. But you lose control of your mind, don't you? You can't think straight. And that's what is happening here. We even have people today joining some of the um, uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrations, protests, the LGBTQ whatever plus. Is saying they're, they're joining some of these protests why what is if they went to Palestine or Gaza what would happen to them why do people get so angry quickly where's the peace without God there is no shalom there is no peace there was always going to be spikes or bigger than that, of uncontrollable anger. And this is what makes the enemy of God prod, provoke, push people. Remember, this was, um, he was it was he at the beginning. It was one person that was provoking and prodding. Sorry, Demetrius in verse 29. And the whole city was in confusion. The whole city. And that first rebellion... That's what I was meant to say before, sorry. That first rebellion, where did it start? In the Garden of Eden. It started, Satan came and brought confusion, brought doubt into the hearts and minds of Eve and then Adam. You see, when people are in a frenzy or on drugs or intoxicated with something, they get out of control. And it's interesting, over the years, as I've been just looking at stuff, a lot of your guerrilla groups, terrorist groups, they have this propaganda going to psych them up, to put them into this mindset that action has to be taken. And then they get into this frenzy and then they act. Who's behind it? The enemy. Remember the, um, the story in the scriptures? The scriptures. Of the prophets of Baal in first Kings what did the prophets of Baal do they're calling down their God to consume the uh, the the sacrifice and then they start cutting themselves because it wasn't happening quick enough and they were in total frenzy in a total frenzy and eventually Elijah comes He stirred the pot a little bit too, actually, made fun of him. You know the story. But God was greater than Baal. But shows you when people are in an uncontrollable mindset, they do irrational things. So the crowd in Acts 19 was falling right into the hands of the enemy. He was right there with them, prodding and pushing. And sadly, these people had no relationship with God. They were without the knowledge of who God is, who brings peace, who brings rationality, who brings understanding, who brings in the right perspective. The reality is, is, without the Lord Jesus Christ, people are lost. People are blind. They're trapped without hope. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can take that away. Becoming one of his children is the only thing that can take away that web, that confusion, that destruction that entangles us. And what? It sets us? It sets us free and you'll be free indeed. You see, as God's children, we get a new identity, a new perspective, a new lens to look through. The lens that a non-Christian looks through is through the lens of the world. That satan is in control of people are trapped in their guilt and in their shame that's where he wants you that's where he wants people who are outside of christ he wants you to enjoy your pride and love for yourself and no one else me first and he wants you to live a life of confusion hatred and an anger that is so deep that you'll want to destroy other people or even yourself But through God's lens through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word there is eternal hope there is peace there is love for others rather than yourself there is forgiveness of sins there is a clear perspective on things because the Spirit of God is now guiding you your identity is not driven by attractions of this world and what it has to offer your identity is in Christ security Peace, hope, love, grace. There's not confusion and hatred. It's taken away. And I'm not saying believers are perfect. We still have those temptations, don't we? We still, those things enter into, enter into us. But God, we can come before God at any time before his throne of grace and we can ask for forgiveness. Now, we don't want to, like, like Paul... We don't sin because I just feel like it, and I know I can pray and get forgiveness straight away. God forbid, as Paul says, grace does not abound like that. But we are not perfect, but we can come before God any time. That's grace. That's mercy, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, verse 30, uh, 29 to 31. So while the confusion was in full swing, the crowd is calling out, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians!" And then they grab, uh, they grab Paul, uh, some of Paul's travelling mates, Gaius and Aristocus from Macedonia. So they grab them. Paul wanted to go as well, but they hold him back. Some of the friends that he had made there, the other disciples said, "No, no, Paul, don't you go." And I, you, Paul was always in it, right? We, we read earlier on and we know Paul was there for about 2 years in Ephesus so he was acquainted with the area he had made lots of friends but then this riot starts they wanted to grab him they're blaming him the blame game was happening like it did in the garden of eden but god had a god knew the bigger picture he knew that Paul needed to get to Rome god and he needed to see governors and kings along the way god knew what what was in store for paul so in verse 32 the confusion grows to another level some started crying one thing and another thing and then they said most of them didn't even know why they had come together how does one intervene in a chaos like this how do you bring calmness to a situation some of the crowd have this idea, let's get this guy Alexander up the front. But then they find out he's a Jew. And then they start going more ballistic. I don't know what, what, what it had to do with it, but because there was so much confusion and disarray, so they went into an hysteria now for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And then finally in verse 35, this city clerk comes and he calms the crowd down he's very diplomatic in his approach he's very wise he's reaffirming to this to this um crowd he goes yes the city of ephesus is great and it is the guardian of the great goddess diana as well as the image that fell down from zeus and I just thought it's amazing how the Lord uses non-believers sometimes to intervene and to bring in. I remember when South Africa um, moved from the white government into the ANC and Nelson Mandela uh, became president. And people came from far and wide to celebrate. But they also came with their Schombox and their machetes and things like that. Because they're like, now's our chance, now's our time for vengeance. But God used Nelson Mandela. He used him at that time to bring calmness to the people. God intervened. God used the clerk. He used Nelson Mandela. And he reaffirms to them in verse 36, uh, the, the clerk, that these things cannot be, not, cannot be denied. He said, just calm down. We are a great city. We, we, we've got the, 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 one of the seven wonders in the world here. Don't worry. It's interesting thinking about evangelism approaches. Um, over the years, I'm, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm an evangelist, but I'm not, yeah, how can I explain this? Not ridiculing people for what they believe, not just harrying and saying, why do you believe in this false god and blah, 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 blah. but building that relationship Allowing the Spirit of God to do the work. As the Word of God has unfolded over time, with patience, with perseverance, they come to see through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, that what they believe is not right. We, in the village that we lived in in Panama, they, they had their own cultural beliefs, but we felt we wouldn't want to just go in and preach the gospel bang straight away and ask for hands up. We didn't feel that that was the right approach. We moved into the community. We built relationships. We, we began to uh, learn and study the culture of the people so that we could deliver God's word in a way that was appropriate, contextualized to them. And as we taught God's word, we saw the lights come on. We weren't saying that what you're doing wrong or bad, but we, we developed those relationships and taught God's, God's word. And those principles, I believe, that we can apply here. We cannot underestimate the power of the Spirit of God working in the hearts and lives of people. So, as we read and study God's Word, the Word of God says that the Spirit of God brings conviction. He reveals truth to people. And um, if I don't know if those were here in Acts chapter 17 when we were teaching that, you can go back and listen to it. Is that still on the website? Yeah, Acts 17. When Paul went in and talked with the Greek philosophers remember he started now I want to talk to you about the unknown God and then he begins he's not saying don't believe this don't do that the do's and don'ts he's going in and presenting God's Word in a way that they would understand so verse 38 to 40 the clerk then also gives another option he goes if you want to pursue these, these people that you feel have done unjust, that are taking away your business, there is a procedure, there is a courtroom, there is a procounsel that you can go to and to further this. But then it all ended up as, why did we even come together? Por nada, por gusto, as we say in Spanish. We, we didn't come for any reason at all. We're just, And then they just go their own way. That's what chaos does, doesn't it? That's what confusion does. That's what an irrational mind does. And no matter what, God will still build his church. He built his church there in Ephesus. And you can read the letter to the Ephesians as well. The gospel is offensive, isn't it? It is offensive. And... Okay, I'm going to skip that bit. So here's a couple of questions. What do we need to do? So I'm wrapping up here. What do we need to do to have an impact on our culture? And what do we need to change in our lives to see that happen? Up there. Thanks for tracking what do we need to do to have an impact on our culture and what do we need to change in our lives to allow that to happen and what would the implications be and you'll, you'll have to answer that for yourself what would those implications be but it's interesting this situation didn't deter the church in ephesus it continued to grow and the gospel continued to spread and the way continued to Meet together revelations chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 I just want to read these these uh, these words I don't I don't have it up there so if you want to turn in your Bibles this is what it says about the church in Ephesus and I'm gonna leave the last part out because it says they lost their love for the church you can read the full um, text later But this is what the church of Ephesus was renowned for. What is penned down for us in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 2, 1 to 3. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. He says this, I know your works, your toil and your patience and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and are found to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And then it does go on and say how they did lose their first love. Calvary Chapel Church, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in well-doing as believers of the lord jesus christ the trials are testings the chaotic things will happen out there but don't grow weary don't lose your first love if you've lost your first love come back come back to the lord come before his throne of grace and ask for forgiveness let me pray may we our lord jesus christ be your vessels of peace as we live our lives in this chaotic and confused world may you help us to be bold to share the gospel of grace even when there is opposition please give us courage give us wisdom give us words give us patience For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Lord, help us to take on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all, stand. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.